Hello and welcome to Zero Rider today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. As always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Follow us on all our social media. On Facebook, we are the Zero Network on Facebook, Pastor Neal's Zero Network. Go there, listen to archive shows, like that page, and you'll listen to shows far back as you can <laughs> we've been doing the show also on twitter show handle is at zero radio z-e-r-a radio and my handle at lorenzo t neal thank you so much for thank you so much for listening to us today if you haven't done so i want to invite you to become a patron for a little as a dollar a month go to patreon.com slash lorenzo t neal sign up for one of those tiers support this show this is a listener supported show and we appreciate you so much i got a lot of i want to talk about i've been scatterbrained all morning i've been trying i've had technical troubles <laughs> technical issues but we are here we are glad and we're going to get this show on the road um uh, I want to start off first by get, um, sharing this very, very sad story. And if you, it's been on for uh, a number of days, and it's the very, very tragic death of Chelsea Chesley Christ, a former Miss USA and correspondent for a TV show Extra. She was only 30 years old, and by all accounts, she uh, she died by suicide. And the story is that she jumped off a building in New York City. And any suicide is very tragic. Any death is tragic, especially one that is not anticipated is very tragic. And even worse, the, the death of someone so young, only 30 years old, she was an attorney, she was a motivational speaker, she was a model, she was a TV correspondent, she was an actress, she had all these accolades going on. And by all accounts, she had become very successful. She was crowned the epitome of every beauty queen's dream, uh, Miss USA. You know, I, I've always wondered, what's the difference between Miss USA and Miss America? Uh, I, I have no idea. I think one of them goes to Miss Universe. I do not know. I... I want to say, is it Donald Trump? Was that his his pageant that he put on for so many years? I I don't know. I I get lost. But it's a very very tragic thing. We uh, send out our condolences and thoughts and prayers to her family. I cannot imagine what they are experiencing. I cannot imagine what she may have been experiencing to uh, have taken that choice that action and I think we've talked about this before and I, I want to mention it again if you or someone you know is dealing with thoughts of suicide or has attempted suicide call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline or Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK 8255-1-800-273-TALK 8255 and, and, you know, if there's a crisis center near you, get that person to that. Um, I, there's, there's a lot of signs. Sometimes there are no signs. Sometimes there are no signs or signals as to why people would carry out such an act. But uh, people, if you need help, get it. As a pastor, as a therapist, I, I get help. 
You know, I get my help through the services of BetterHelp, and BetterHelp has done a wonderful job with me, and I'm appreciative of all the work I've been able to get done because I've been seeing uh, someone uh, through BetterHelp. And maybe BetterHelp may not be for you. And yes, this is a shameless plug for BetterHelp, even my own services. <laughs> but get the help that you need. Black people, um, we, we need to do better when it comes to uh, not just assessing mental health, addressing mental health, but embracing the need for uh, addressing it without it having to look bad. Anyway, it, and speaking of black folk, it is Black History Month. Happy Black History Month to you. For these next 28 days, we're going to see stories of achievement and first, and everybody's going to love it. And then we'll be relegated back to the history books or memories. But I challenge you this Black History Month, and I'm challenging myself, but I challenge you this Black History Month for you to look for obscure black history facts. Don't get the ones, the textbook ones, and MLK or uh, who else? You know, Harriet Tubman, John of Truth, all those wonderful Frederick Douglass. Well, you're going to be hearing a lot about Frederick Douglass uh, from me, but for others, look for look for the local Black history. Uh, for example, here in the city of Jackson, we're celebrating Black history in the persons of Hezekiah Watkins, who was a freedom rider, and in the person, excuse me. And uh, several other persons, I just lost my train of thought. I've had the opportunity to engage with a lot of persons who lived um, and, and, and functioned during this time period that we highlight, which is the Jim Crow era, more particularly from the civil rights era of the mid-50s until the mid-70s. Uh, people forget, you know, they think after the death of Dr. King, it died. But no, there were still people engaging in those acts of civil rights, and we want to celebrate them. Don't let them or their legacy or their work die. All right. But again, I kind of digress. Uh, continue to pray for the family of that young lady. And it's just, you know, it, it's sad. It, it really is sad. But, you know, everybody's experiencing this in one capacity or another. And... Uh, it's a sad time. I came across another sad story by way of the Christian Post, and this is the story of a Brooklyn pastor who was uh, found murdered in her home, and a person who allegedly carried out this heinous crime against this Brooklyn pastor was her own son. Tracy Sidner, she was a beloved mother, and she was recently appointed as the administrative pastor of the Cathedral of Hope Upper Room Baptist Church. That's a long name for a church. <laughs> the Cathedral of Hope Upper Room Baptist Church uh, in the New York area, New York City area, uh, just over two months ago. But she was found stabbed to death in her home, and her 40-year-old son admitted that he slit her up. And this is the way he said it. According to the report, this is how he said, what happened is I slid her up. Kenji Francis, a 61-year-old pastor's son, allegedly admitted to officers. Now, uh, the story further says that um, he had no um, 
no prior history of any type of mental issues or anything like that. Some relatives and other observers and close people to the family said he just snapped. And again, this is one of those things that just make you wonder, what caused him to snap? What was it that just made him go off to the point where he had to take the life of his own parent? And what's tragic is, his case is not the only case. Last year, there were dozens of cases of sons, black sons, taking the lives of their own parents. Some made national headlines. Others were just local headlines. But it's just sad. I don't know what... I, I will say it's demonic. I'm, I'm going to say that, you know. <laughs> That's the easiest uh, explanation. This is demonic. This is satanically influenced actions. But it's clearly something caused that to happen. And we will probably never really know. Um, he may give a full confession if if it makes it to court and trial. He may He may do that. He may not. I don't know. But um, uh, people are asking uh, or soliciting prayers on behalf of her family, but also the Upper Room Baptist Church and the senior pastor, J. Carl Henderson, and those members there. It's a lot going on. It's a lot I can't keep up with that's happening. But, you know, it's, it's still the same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling because I was reading two articles from the oldblackchurch.com, uh, and again, Ann Brock, she has a lot of stuff on there, but there are two stories that, that just captured my fascination. Um, so if you get a chance, go over and visit Ann Brock's, Ann Brock's site, the oldblackchurch.com. There are two stories that I'm going to talk about. That I just, I really just found hilarious. The first one is the story, the news that Bishop Noel Jones, the pastor who is very well-known, prominent, well-respected, one of my favorite preachers, and I dare say even biblical scholars, you know, some people would contest that, but uh, he's definitely an eloquent preacher and orator, definitely that. And people became more familiar with him uh, as he was a cast member on the reality television show Real Preachers of L.A., or Preachers of L.A., not Real Preachers, but just Preachers of L.A., he, along with the persons, other cast members, uh, were, they stood out notably not because of them being pastors, but also because in this particular case, they had a, uh, <laughs> a lot of them were wealthy, are, are wealthy, not where are, wealthy and just as any reality television they had to build up the drama it was just interesting watching them uh try to edit the piece to ref to show some type of drama between men it's easy to do for women on these reality television shows but it it, it, it seems challenging to me and this is i don't know i don't know how they produce it how they edit but it just seems challenging to me when they uh get these scenes of conflict and i don't think they ever fought or anything or came to blows but i know there was some very heated moments between some of the cast members but anyway bishop bishop um jones became uh 
famous, more famous because of that, but also because of the person that he has engaged, gotten engaged to. He is finally, according to the headline, finally getting married to his longtime girlfriend, Loretta. Now, I've watched the show a few times, and I saw the interactions between he and Loretta, and I was I was always kind of confused because I wasn't sure if they had a romantic relationship or a business relationship. And, of course, all the persons who were providing the feedback on the show were saying that they were romantically involved and that she had been his romantic partner for a number of years. And, of course, we learn now that uh, she has been his longtime girlfriend. Um, according to the report, uh, he got he got engaged. Bishop uh, Jones got engaged, and some people say it was staged. And then, of course, you know, just about any person who does engagements now, they're men who do the engagement. You know, they try to try to stage it pre pretty good. They want to impress the woman, you know. And sometimes they want attention, but a lot of times it's just it's just about you know making sure the woman knows that they are serious, so they're gonna do something to. You know, stage it properly. And when I in, get engaged, when I propose, trust me, it's going to be worth it. <laughs> She's going to be worth it. She's going to be worth it. But that moment will be worth it and be memorable also. But anyway, um, his longtime girlfriend, Loretta, was in the audience. And apparently some people say they coordinated it by dress. But... She is, she accepted the invitation. Commentators are saying, well, that, you know, he finally proposed to her because he old. He is 72 years old, and I didn't realize that. And most people forget that he is the brother of actress and singer Grace Jones, not her twin brother, as was falsely reported at one time, but they are siblings. And uh, it has always been interesting, the dynamics between them uh, and their fame in particular. But anyway, so he has proposed to her. She has accepted the proposal. People are saying, well, he, he getting old. He needs somebody to care for him. Yes. Yes, that is true. He is getting old. He, as uh, I understand, he has no biological children. If he does, I'm unaware. He was formerly married. He's been divorced for well over two decades, if not longer. He's been divorced a good, a, a good while. And um, he's making this decision. Yes, at 72 years old, of course, he is old. There is no doubt about that at 72 years old. But at the same time, the, the, the thing that is really important is the fact that they have come to terms with the reality of their relationship. We don't know the full reality of their relationship. Never know why it took so long. I know from my personal experience, having been divorced nearly two decades myself, uh, one, uh, Dating is challenging as a preacher, as a pastor. You know, it's just it is. Two, sexual sin is uh, perhaps even more prominent and the biggest likelihood for you to fall morally. And that's, that's just reality, at least for me. I don't know if it's the case for Bishop Jones. Um, three, um, 
if you've been divorced for a good long period of time, if you've lived uh, singularly by yourself, you're just stubborn as a man. I just, I mean, that's just reality. I'm, I'm stubborn. And it's, it's challenging when some woman comes in and try to try to fulfill the void that you desire romantically and be the rib that you believe God has for you, and you're stubborn. So maybe that could be what contributed to it. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But anyway, people are saying that um, the whole the whole act was hilarious or funny or just, you know, this is for play, this is whatever it is, you know. Y'all know how folks talk. This is what they're saying. It's neither here nor there for me. I'm sure it's more relevant to the women in his congregation than it is to anybody else, you know, because sometimes these, you know, single pastors can be idealized, idolized, or I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm not saying that's the case with him. It's certainly not the case with me. But sometimes those, those single women are are wondering, well, why didn't he pick me? Why he been with her so long? Especially the younger ones, they can be the more challenging. And again, I'm speaking generally. I'm not speaking specifically. I'm just I'm just talking. But this is just my random thinking. It has nothing to do. This is just me. This is not applicable to Bishop Jones. It's not applicable to me or any of these single single clergy, male or female. I'm just I'm just rambling. <laughs> just so you know. But um, I, I believe. This has been a long time coming from what I understand, and so we extend congratulations to Bishop Jones. They have not set a wedding date, you know, but I'm quite sure if she's been a long time girlfriend or she's already got that, she's already got the date, she's already got the dress, she's probably already got the venue, I'm sure she's been doing planning for <laughs> for a good minute. And, you know, who knows? They may not take long to actually make this happen. I don't know her age, but it doesn't matter for her age. I was reading some of these comments, man, and I want to make this clear. The Bible addresses divorce, and it is ambiguous in how it addresses divorce. And I know what people... Uh, the scripture and verses people use to when it comes to a, a divorce and remarriage. And when you put it in the context of what is actually practiced and not practiced both in that time and in today's time, what is allowed and not allowed, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tread those waters. Part of the reason why I am not remarried is because for a long time I interpreted the scripture through the lens, and I emphasize through the lens of a particular praxis from a uh, faith community. But that was not rooted in, well, it is rooted in Scripture, but it was not actual what Scripture was saying. And so just just an admonition that, you know, we be careful condemning people who marry and remarry and their spouses who have, they have divorced are still alive. Okay, I just want to be clear on that. They ain't going to hell, just, you know, they can pastor church, okay? I'm just saying. All right, let me move on. I know I've ruffled some some blah blah blah. I've ruffled some feathers on that one. Uh, 
So the second story that I just found hilarious on this blog was the story of Nick Cannon. And Nick Cannon is a rapper, he's a producer, actor, and host of the uh, sketch comedy show. I don't even know if it's a sketch comedy show, but whatever kind of show it is, Wild and Out. Now, I love Wild and Out because it's just funny. I just like the little things that they come up, the chants and all that stuff. Whenever I'm in the barbershop, that's usually what's played. And that's the only reason I'm really familiar with it. And it's just funny, man. I'm just sitting in there. I'm like, how they come up with that, <laughs> you know? But anyway, Nick Cannon, former husband to Mariah Carey. Yeah, that Nick Cannon is now about to have his eighth child. His eighth child, number eight. And this child is by um, a model who I uh, can't remember her. She's a wilding out gang, wilding out girl, but I don't know what that means. But her name is Bray Tisi, T I E S I. I do not know how to pronounce that name. But anyway, they recently had a celebration where they revealed the gender of their soon-to-be child, and it is a boy. The thing about it is, recently, you know, Nick Cannon lost uh, one of his sons, and uh, we all lamented with him the loss of a child is never easy. And so in the process of losing that child, I, I guess he came to faith or, you know, I don't know how to put it, but he, he talked about... Uh, coming back to faith, and I'm not sure if it's Christian faith or, or explicitly, I think he may have talked about it on his radio show or podcast or whatever, but you know, Nick Cannon has been outrageous when it came to that in a couple, you know, what, last year or year before, he came under fire for some language he, uh, comments he made on his podcast. But anyway, according to the story that um, one week he's um, talking about how God's grace sustained him through the toughest season, and the next week he's making a baby announcement. <laughs> and I'm laughing <laughs> because it's, it's funny. He has eight children, uh, seven children, I believe. I don't know which ones he has by Mariah. I, I, maybe the two oldest ones are by Mariah, but he has uh, two 10-year-olds, a four-year-old, a one-year-old, a seven-month-old, or two seven-month-old twins, and the other one who passed away. I don't know the age of the one who passed away. But, and now he's just on the way. And so, you know, the, she titled, and Brock, titled this, the, the headline for this, this story on the old black churches. Is Nick Cannon a Christian, quote unquote, man whore? <laughs> Is Nick Cannon a Christian man whore? And I could not help, but as you can tell, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> because <laughs> by all accounts, he, he really is. 
You know, but at the same time, Nick Cannon is not like the average man. I was watching, you know, I've watched Maury a few times, and I've seen a lot of uh, particularly black men come on the show, and they have uh, uh, multiple children. And I'm not just talking about two or three. Sometimes as many as five and seven, and one as many as 25. And these men, those men uh, basically are largely uh, irresponsible regarding caring for their children. But, you know, some of them are, are not gainfully employed, so they don't have the means, they're back, they're behind on child support, and we do have a lot of black men, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about black men, who are incarcerated because they are unable to care for their children when it comes to the government responsibility, you know, child support like that. Nick Cannon is outside. Nick Cannon is a multimillionaire. He's been a multimillionaire since he was a young man. And he does have, while he, you know, I don't know what his wealth, his net worth is, but he does have the means of supporting eight children. The question is, you know, when it comes to these children's mothers, you know, um, is he romantically involved with all of them? Well, of course, you know, we know he was sexually involved with all of them, but will he be romantically involved with them? Will he be co-parenting with all? Well, yeah, of course, he'll be co-parenting, but it's just, it'll be interesting to see how he manages to care. And if he does marry eventually or remarry, eventually, how would that affect and how would that impact the spouse if they were to have children together, you know, if they have one, two, or three children together, you know, how would that spouse, because then that'll put him on way over the top, how would that spouse deal, how would the children, especially the older children, you know, would they have some type of grievance as they mature? Right now, they're all, they're all, uh, uh, young enough to enjoy daddy, but by the time they get to those, that puberty kicks in, and definitely by the time they're uh, full adolescents and teens, and as they grow into young adults, will they have some type of resentment toward him and his incapacity, incapacity or seemingly incapacity to maintain himself sexually? It's something everybody's going to be wondering. It's something I'm wondering. But, you know, as long as he has the means to do it, and he has continual streams of income, you know, it is what it is. Let it be. Let it be. All right. I am going to take me a quick break, and then when I come back, I want to talk about a story that I read, and I think it's really interesting as we go into this Black History moment. Um, you've heard about the Great Resignation that happened in 2021. There's a report that came out that there's, that is not just limited to the secular world, but pastors are also participating in the Great Resignation. So when we come back from break, we're going to talk about the Great Resignation. What does it look like for the black church? And we'll be right back.
Hey guys, I just released my latest book of poetry titled, He Was Clean, Poems from Woodlawn. Take a stroll with me and my buddy Jackson through our blocks, where we uh, uncover the hit jewels and imagery of life and everyday people in our neighborhood, and read and experience poetry that reflects that authentic life, not only of me and my buddy Jackson, but of everybody else. Get your copy of He Was Clean, Poem from Woodlawn, available now on Amazon and LorenzoTNeal.com. I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. The last two years have been trying for all of us, and many, including myself, have sought out help from the wonderful therapists at Burial. With thousands of professional therapists available, you can get quality and affordable counseling from the luxury of your home on your computer, mobile device, or tablet from someone near you. Help right at your fingertips with BetterHelp.com. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Dio. Make sure that you go to the Facebook page, Pastor Neil Zero Network. Like that page. Listen to all the archive shows from there and follow us on all the social media on Twitter at Zero Radio, Lorenzo T. Neal, and wherever else you can find us, we're there. Appreciate it. Appreciate it so much. I got so much noise going on. Anyway, also, make sure you become a patron. Join us. I need your support. This is listener supporters. So go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and uh, sign up for one of those tiers. So, um, close out the last segment talking about, and I know y'all hear all the rumbling that's going on in the background. I told you, this has been one of those days, man. Y'all just got to bear with me. Uh, <laughs> um, we talked about the great, well, we didn't talk about it, but you've heard about the great resignation that started happening in 2021 where people were just leaving their jobs. And they were leaving their jobs for a number of reasons, um, like if they are overworked and underpaid or no no, no way to move up the ladder. Uh, so there were a number of thousands, if not millions of people were just walking away from the job. And as a result, there are a lot of businesses with for hire or hiring signs up. And I have literally thought about, hey, some of these places, let me see if I can put my application in. <laughs> you know, it's just that crazy. But 
another place this is happening is in the church. And there's a there's an article that I came across from Sojourners, and I want to. This is the title of the article: Why Pastors Are Joining the Great Resignation. The Great Resignation Resignation is on the way across the states, as stated before. But um, here's this. According to Barna, about 38% of Protestant senior pastors surveyed have considered leaving ministry over the past year. Among pastors under age 45, the number rose to 46%. And the person goes on to say that they reached out to personal phone calls and emails. And what they found that there was a shifting congregation commitment. Unclear paths for ministry following pandemic, exhaustion, low pay, lack of appreciation, and after nearly two years of live stream worship services, telephone conferences, and online funerals, uh, a lot of pastors are outright exhausted, and they are leaving churches one by one every week. There's another pastor leaving or transitioning, and this is the key word here, transitioning out of their current job in ministry. Okay. So, uh, and I'm, let me be a bit transparent. I am one of those pastors who considered <laughs> during the tra- during the pandemic. I'm like, man, this is overwhelming because I was a one man machine. And, and it's, you know, for, for, I don't have the luxury like a lot of pastors who pastor medium and a small congregation. I don't have the luxury of having a staff of associate ministers to carry out the work. I have lay persons, lay persons who were uh, assisting me during morning worship. So they would read the scripture or they'll do a prayer specifically on certain days, you know. They already knew, okay, I'd send out this is the uh, service order for the day, not order, we already had an order, but you know, this is this is going to be the scripture, this is the sermon theme, so, you know, something like that. And they were organized who would do scripture, who would do prayer, who would lead in the, the call to worship or the litany for that morning. And uh, song service was, was already, always a given. But during the pandemic, I didn't have any of that. I was having to do the call to worship, the litany, do the prayer, read the scripture, and then preach. And turn around and do the production for the the live stream. Um, I don't have the luxury of having a media team. So I was doing all that. And I tell you, when it was, when I tell you it was not only frustrating, it was overwhelming at times. And, you know, <laughs> I learned uh, how it must feel to be uh, a television producer and you have to, or a television editor, and you have to make cuts and all of that stuff. I mean, there were plenty of times well, we would record a whole service and have no audio. Or we would record a service and the audio would be greatly distorted. Or the video would be poor. And there'd be times where we would literally have to stop. And I, <laughs> I had a guest preacher one time, and he was preaching and just preaching. And somehow the cable got disconnected from the microphone or from somewhat that from the sound. It got disconnected, and we basically lost sound, lost audio. He was just preaching, and we lost video to it. All of it went out. Lost video, and I had to tell him, I said, well, we, the good news is you preached so great. The bad news is uh, we didn't get about the last five 
uh, 15 minutes of that. And we had to go back, and he picked, the good thing, he picked right back up, and we were able to do the edit seamlessly. You couldn't even tell that he, you know, except for the tone was slightly different, but, you know, we preachers, we adjust our tone and all of that. And he could, when he watched it, he couldn't even tell. He was like, oh, he knew that that was edited. But that was the, that's the magic of having to do streaming services, you know, you can pre-record and, and the magic of editing if they know what they're doing. But if I had, I had a panic attack because it was just so overwhelming and I thought I was going to, about to die. At the same time, I had just, during, during this time in 2020, I got hired on as a professor of, of music at Wiley College. So I, you know, I'm this professor of music, and we were virtual, and I had a full load. I mean, a full load of classes to teach, and I was also teaching at our school of religion. So I'm pulling double duty as a professor and full time pastor, and I was like, Lord, this is just, this is too much. Which one can I give away? And I was like, Well. I want to be an academic. I've always seen myself as an academic. So I was like, well, I could do this. <laughs> I, I could step away from pastoring and transition into academic work. You know, I, I've always fancied myself going into, uh, uh, you know, a career as a college professor. And now I'm, you know, like, I got the opportunity to do it. So I seriously considered it. Seriously considered. And I had told, uh, the dean and chair and HR that, that uh, in the following semester, if we were in person, you know, you know, if we get back in person, I wanted to be on campus. Yeah. And then it just so happened, you know, the other outbreak happened. So I wasn't on campus. And then in, in the fall of 2021, I wasn't on campus because the outbreak happened. And now here we are in the spring of 2022, and I'm still not on campus. I'm still virtual. <laughs> and I'm like, well, uh, it's I, I guess I have to delay my transition into, into academia. But when I was reading this article, now this person who's authored this article, um, uh, Melissa Blixler, now she's a pastor of a Mennonite church uh, in North Carolina, I believe. But um, when she... As she was reflecting, you know, she says this, for decades, church people assumed their pastor's commitment to the church would supersede any bruising and bullying the congregants doled out or, or and um, that the death of the institutional church would come because of mass exodus from the pews. But it, as she goes on to say, if data is in the indicator, the sun might set on U.S. churches as we know them because pastors refuse aid. Uh, refuse to aid and abet in a compromise between factionalism and the good news of Jesus Christ. And what she's basically saying is pastors are are basically saying, I, you know what, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to deal with the people. I don't have to deal with the drama. I don't have to deal with any of this. You know, the Lord is still called me and I can proclaim it outside of the organized institutional church. And, you know, last week we talked about Lecrae saying, uh, the rapper Lecrae saying that he no longer is considering himself affiliated, a part of the organized institutional church, and more particularly the politicized church. He's not doing politicized Christianity. 
And that's basically what is contributing to this great resignation in this church. Now, I, I talked about the black church in particular. Um, I have a friend, and the Lord bless his heart, walked away from a church he had been pastoring for over a decade. And he walked away because he had finally gotten frustrated with dealing with all of the drama and antagonism that were coming from pastor, uh, from the congregation. Uh, the other thing he, he was like, you know, I just, from his own mental health, he was like, I gotta do it. And he walked away from that church and eventually a smaller congregation asked him to, to, you know, just, just preach for us a few, you know, a few Sundays. And he accepted and, you know, He's not getting paid for it. He's intentionally not getting paid for it. And, you know, it's a smaller church. He doesn't have to do a lot of work. You know, I don't know how often they meet. I don't think they meet every Sunday or anything like that. But anyway, he came to the conclusion that this was the better option for him. And I know a lot of preachers who are thinking that. I remember not long ago, uh, I believe he's either 2020 or 2021, a pastor of a very... Uh, prominent mega church, or at least prominent in his area, decided that he would retire from ministry. And uh, I think he's in his mid-40s or his early 40s. And he said in, in his mid-40s he retired. And uh, people were like, why are he doing that? He must not be called or anything like that. And I reflect now, I've been preaching uh, well over 30 years. Uh, officially, 30 years this coming April is when I got my official license from my pastor. And um, trust me, I was sharing this with someone else. Anybody who has been in a secular profession for 25 or 30 years are able to retire. They can retire. They have pension. They have all that stuff. You know, they're they going to get Social Security and all that. Pastors a lot of times can't do that, you know, especially now, you know, the well-off ones can if they, uh, their church is able to make sure that they got their social security and taking it out for it and all that stuff. And, you know, they get the vacation. They, they, they are employees of the church. In my case, you know, we're not employees of the church. We're itinerant. We can get moved around, but, uh, we are, uh, by definition, we are, Contract agents. We're independent contractors with our church. They pay us, you know, uh, if, unless they're a mega church where they have sufficient staff to do all that. But for the most part, you know, we get a check, we go home. When we file taxes, we have to file as self-employed, which means that we don't have the, the luxury of retiring if we are unable to. You know, and I've been to a, you know, I'm AME. I've been to a lot of funerals. Where, and you ask any AME preacher who's been in the ministry long enough, they'll tell you, you raise an offering at the funeral to give to the whoever, you know, the, the spouse of the deceased minister. You went to the off, you went to the funeral with an offering in hand of at least a hundred dollars. Because you knew the bishop was going to call for all the clergy to give an offering to the spouse. Why? Because even though we have annuity and retirement, you only get in what you pay out. I mean, you only get out what you pay in. <laughs> and you don't have the fortune. You know, you have to be wise in how you invest your fund, your, your earnings. 
And a lot of, I know of plenty of preachers who died penniless. Their spouses were left almost penniless. Because uh, back in the day, you know, the full-time clergy person, if they were married, their spouse worked outside of the church, outside of the home. So I know a lot of preachers whose wives were educators or worked in uh, retail. or They did something to afford the, 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 the preacher to, to do the work of the Lord. And yes, the preacher, you know, every now and then would get the big anniversary or appreciation where there would be enough income to come in to you know, get them through the rest of the year or, or something like that. But for a lot of preachers, that, that ain't even the case. <laughs> so it's understandable. And when you look at the black church, there is a lot of flight happening from the black church. People are leaving the church. And mostly it's because of spiritual abuse, trauma, uh, the hypocrisy that we preachers and members have presented before them. And they just like, I don't want to be a part of this mess. But when the preachers leave, and, and you know, I'll be honest with you, there is, as while there are a lot of people who are calling themselves preachers, prophets, apostles, they're not trying to really serve people. You know, a lot of these younger generation preachers, and I'm speaking in the most general sense, they're joining the ranks of ministry because they see the benefits financially. Especially if they can attach themselves to a better known preacher to build themselves up to, to get the clout. Or, nowadays, tear down other preachers for clout. It's going both ways now. And, you know, those younger, these younger preachers, they understand that if you have the right swag, if you have the right presentation, if you have enough charisma, you can build a mega church. And you ain't got to say much or anything. You understand a few key phrases. You, you know how to motivate folk. And a lot of these churches, a lot of these pastors now are preaching recycled motivational speeches under the guise of sermons. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But anyway, it's troubling, but at the same time, it's kind of reassuring to see that preachers like myself are understanding the, their value, especially if you're an educated preacher like myself. You know, I know I can walk away from pastoral ministry and I have something to fall back on. That's why I went and got my earned doctorate degree. I have something to fall back on. You know, I could, I could build a second career in education if I wanted to. And, uh, you know, I could go back to a secondary education. I can do higher education. I, I have that to fall back on. But a lot of preachers don't. And older preachers, you know, they just trusted the Lord. Wore their clothes out, wore their shoes out, trusting the Lord. Wore their families out, trusting the Lord, and died Still trusting the Lord, but penniless. Probably frustrated because they know they could have done better. And for those who are bivocational, it's even more uh, probably stressful for them to know that uh, while they are, afforded, they are afforded the opportunity to serve in pastoral work and ministry, they cannot lose their job. They cannot leave their job. And there's that big tug. Some of them are successful. A lot of preachers are successful when it comes to bivocational ministry. 
But there are all a lot of them who are like, I, I got to make up my mind. And I'll never forget when I made the decision that I believe the Lord was leading me into full-time ministry. And uh, I was like, well, Lord, you're going to do it. And he did. I didn't, I, I was, I was preparing for it. I understood what it would take. But at the same time, I wasn't really expecting it to happen. I, I was praying for it to happen, but I wasn't expecting it to happen the way it did happen. And the way it did happen was only to the Lord. But that's neither here nor there. I'd love to hear what you think. I know this, I know some people have a lot of thoughts on this, but I would love to hear what you have to say on this topic. Any other topic we talk about on Zero Today. So feel free, email me at uh, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com or ZeroPublishing at gmail.com. Get your, um, get your thoughts in. Let me know what you think about that. Make sure that when you go to the Facebook page, you can leave comments on different shows, all of that. And uh, I think that's it. I'm running out of stuff to say. But make sure you get a copy of the latest book. Make sure you like and subscribe and share and all this stuff. Um, I, need, uh, I need people to go to my YouTube page. My YouTube channel, subscribe there, build me up, help me out, all that stuff. But anyway, that's all I got. I'm going to go until next time. You guys stay blessed. I am out.